Welcome to The Entrepreneur's Doctor. My mission is to help you, the entrepreneur, to create a healthier, happier world. And I'm Beirouz, I'm a public health doctor, preventive medicine physician with over 20 years of international experience, having trained at Harvard and in Oxford, and I'm here for you. Look, I know the struggles you face and many startups either fail or struggle with adoption, access to resources, to people, to data, and then spreading across internationally and all the regulatory hurdles. I've created a checklist for you. If you'd like to learn more about something I call startup therapy, do go and check out my website. It's www.entrepreneurs.doctor and you'll get free access to this checklist. It's a prescription essentially to help you self-assess, to diagnose, treat, and better yet, to prevent some of the issues that you'll face when it comes to the health sector. I hope you find it of value. More importantly, enjoy the show. Dr. Malam Morkin, welcome. Welcome to The Entrepreneur's Doctor. I've secretly been really eagerly waiting to speak with you because of what you do. And we'll get onto all of that in a moment. But let me ask you the most important question. And for me anyway, and I ask this from people who have, um, you know, interesting names. What's the meaning of your name and where does it come from? <laughs> um, hi, it's, it's nice to be on here. Um, Right. Well, that's a big question. Marla means necklace or like prayer beads. Oh. So that, that's where that's from. Nice. Okay. That's really cool. And so, you know, your story, as we'll, we'll get into it in bits really, is really inspiring for me. And I kind of wish I was in your shoes back in, I don't know, I'm not going to ask you your age, but when I was your age, I wish I'd done everything that you'd been doing. And um, you know, you're the digital health podcast host for the Royal Society of Medicine. I mean, that's a big deal. And you've been interviewing uh, real key leaders in this field, like Innovate UK chief exec, yeah, the NHS Innovation Accelerator, co-founder and a Google Health clinical specialist. And there's more. I mean, I, I keep watching or listening even uh, to your episodes and I'm thinking, okay, how do you do all of this? I mean, let me, let me back up and just ask you, first of all, what led you to become an becoming this podcast host i mean it's, it's a great question there's probably i probably share some of the same values and thoughts about this that you have is that um when i joined the royal society of medicine digital health council we were having events with incredible speakers absolutely brilliant speakers they were coming down to the royal society of medicine and they were telling us the latest updates in digital health and sharing their experience but of course the room can fit a certain number and right. how can we make that you know that experience that knowledge that insights how can we disseminate it globally and to a generation of rising digital health enthusiasts as well so that's really where it started and we wanted to, to spread it videos weren't working and um we weren't getting the engagement that you know we wanted to spread and so we thought we'll try the podcast and so it's been a year with an incredible uh, team at the Royal Society of Medicine uh, really pioneered by someone called Fabiola who is just brilliant and we 
you, we we created what would it look like what would it sound like how would we get the speakers would it just be straight off the bat of the of the events and that that was the original thought um but obviously the pandemic got in the way and then yeah. things changed a bit more so so yeah that's how it really started it was just to to get the voices of these leaders that speak at the Royal Society of Medicine and and, and disseminate it to a wider audience that's really great and what have you personally been learning from from these stories what are some themes that are coming across that's a good question. Um, what have I been learning? I, I think there are quite a few things. One is that the, the paths of these incredible people that have spoken at the Royal Society of Medicine and are on the podcast, they look so well thought through and that everyone kind of knew what they were doing. But actually, yeah. we've had to pivot and learn and, um, and everyone does that. Everyone everyone shares that no one really has everything figured out and that doing it in a collaborative way and being okay with failure and okay with leaning on others and collaborating has been the the success of these people so yeah that's what I've really learned and also that there are really cool trends coming in healthcare so I mean it's really fun yeah actually now that you said it what, what are the trends that you're seeing I mean, I mean, from from what we've seen last year, there was a huge uptake from the from the pandemic into digital health in, entirely. And and when I say digital health, there the main thing being remote consultations, right? So I think GPs went from about three percent of GPs using remote consultations to ninety seven percent in a matter of weeks, and that type of digital transformation has just been incredible to see the speed of that. But then also you're seeing vulnerable groups of society and healthcare inequalities now being addressed by technology. Mm. So where we've seen things like, like chronic pain or, or the lack of innovation in women's health, it's now being invested in entirely. And people are seeing that, you know, we can't actually deliver these things without using technology because technology is going to be the enabler to access a wider range for a cheaper for a cheaper amount of money so that's so um, yeah they, these are the trends it's healthcare inequalities and really digital transformation for remote consultations that, that's really interesting and, and that's, that's one of the actual um kind of obstacles that often when you talk to someone who's not as engaged in digital health perhaps or technology the immediate uh, and it's a valid valid argument is actually in terms of inequalities there are issues with digital health in that not everyone will be using or has access to those technologies. And we're not just talking about deprivation here, but age is a factor, you know, literacy and being able to use all this technology. So what's your take on that? And it comes right from the start of designing, right? Yeah, and there was one company that came to me and they were like, you know, we believe that we're champions for diversity. And I said, well, tell me how many people of uh, an ethnic minority background was involved in the design and the yeah. testing of your digital health technology and you know there's no numbers that explains everything <laughs> and, and at the end of the day you are, you can as a company as a digital health tool be wanting to champion that but if you're not designing these products these services with the people that you're trying to get to there's not even any point and that that rings true across healthcare inequalities all the way through to you know the, the, like every everything in in healthcare really yeah look uh, you've been saying a couple of things here in terms of um 
the role it could be with anything not just a startup but any intervention you do it needs to be co-created and have all you, you, every kind of partner or stakeholder that's going to be involved in using this needs to be there from the start from the get-go and um and you've also talked about pivoting and so i just want to just reiterate for, for myself it helps me always talking about this what am i trying to do here you know my goal is to help entrepreneurs innovators but not just those within the health sector. So my goal is to get people from other parts of the world, really. So from engineering, architecture, um, the arts, anything, really, it doesn't matter. Bring your mindset. And many of them have had to pivot into the health sector over the last year with COVID. And so help you guys come in and share the burden, if you like, the fight uh, to help us with public health issues. So bring your mindset and enable you and, and like basically empower you to get into the health sector, inform you about the trends, inform you about uh, the key issues, the obstacles and how the system works. So that's the bottom line. And alongside that, and this is what some of the feedback that I've been getting is, why are you doing that as well as helping with their health and well-being? You know, that's a side thing which only came about after I was starting to do this. And I and I was seeing many people, I mean, health professionals too, that we're struggling over the last year, especially people are struggling. And in terms of entrepreneurs, you got such a rise in young people, especially getting into entrepreneurship over the last year. But many of them are struggling behind the scenes with their mental health, with their uh, physical health and not really doing sustainable lifestyles that could lead them on to into a successful career down the line so that that's it in a nutshell and so what i hope we can get out of this conversation is just it's a flow you know let's see um what experience you have to share but as we go through this uh, you'll see why i invited you on the show so uh, i just want to come back to you in, in a second um first of all in terms of your podcast what's been the most memorable interview that you've had Oh, I don't know if I could choose one, honestly. I I always say the, the first one, yeah. the first one you ever do is always going to be the most memorable because it is you for the first time having to, for the first, you know, you're creating that voice of the podcast and you are defining that in every single question you ask, in the way you ask it, in the way you listen. And obviously it doesn't have to stagnate, but you are beginning that journey. And I think that that for me was the most memorable. But of course the people that I've interviewed have just been fantastic. And I've learned so much across a, as you were saying before, a wide range. And, you know, Dr. Charlotte Lee talking about all the innovation in mental health was just absolutely fascinating for me, but also, um, Ian Campbell talking about what Innovate UK have done to increase a diverse uh, set of entrepreneurs was fantastic. I mean, there's just there, there's, there's too many to, to count. I, I have uh, really, really enjoyed all of them. That's great. Who would you love to have on the show? Oh, okay. <laughs> Awkward question, right? You don't have to answer it. I don't know. I don't know. I like... The, the absolute dream for me would be able to have Melinda Gates on the show. And I think, you know, having someone that has essentially pioneered so much for for women's health globally. And when you do women's health, as she says in her books, you're doing the whole family. Yeah. And I think that that, yeah, and she is, she, she's paved the path. So I think she would be fantastic, but... You know, so. I hope that I hope that works out, and I definitely be the first one what listening. Uh, I was about to say watching. So now I want to back up, rewind. I don't know how many years, and you don't have to say anything about your age, Mala. But uh, 
what got you into what you're doing in the first place? What's your story? Oh, um, well, into healthcare, I think is the, the same story as many people is that you're at school and you like science and you like helping people. And then that is the path that is defined for you. So, I mean, I kind of went into it, but it wasn't until I did my first internships and I started realizing how what a startup was um, and I would spend my summers interning at startups throughout medical school and I would learn what a startup is, uh, how do they function, what are the risks associated with it, what is technology and back then when I was starting you know it was it was still called like M Health and telehealth and it wasn't really called digital health and, and all of this fun stuff so yeah it was it was really um, a learning curve in them I didn't realize I was do you know those times when you are doing things but you think you're someone else so I was doing and I was enjoying healthcare innovation mm -hmm. but there wasn't a defined career path so I thought I had to be a clinical medical doctor mm -hmm. and instead of going out and forging my own career path I felt trapped in this one um so yeah it took a lot of guts and kudos to kind of <laughs> from other people to kind of be like right just go do what you want to do and that is um how I've ended up here in that firmly in the health innovation sector yeah I like how you're very modest I and mean, you've got a amazing cv if you if you really dig deep I mean you studied medicine at imperial um you've done a digital health internship at harvard right yeah, and, and I love how you're not mentioning these things at all. It's, it, I love the modesty. Um, but, but one of the things that really intrigued me is, you know, the, you're the digital, tell me if I've got this wrong, but digital medicine innovation lead at Imperial College, and you're an editorial board member at the International Journal of Digital Health, right? So where, what, I asked you earlier about some of the trends, but where do you see digital health really taking us in the next five to 10 years? Five to 10 years is to be honest, unpredictable. And I would, you know, five to 10 years time, that is, I mean, if you think in your personal life, right? Five to 10 years is huge. And say so five to 10 years to try and predict the trends is gonna be difficult. However, what I think what we're gonna be starting to see is, is the repercussions of this pandemic, to be yeah. honest. And it's gonna be a really interesting and almost, oh, dare I say scary to watch it's to unfold on the NHS returning to some type of usual and some type of normal. And what what do will we need to be able to make that sustainable? What are we going to do with the people that are waiting on a hip waiting a replacement waiting list for two years, three years now? What are we going to? How are we going to be able to support a whole entire population that have now gone through life changing events, suffered emotional distress, have mental health? I think it's going to be really it's really, it's really going to shift towards the repercussions of the pandemic now. And I think we will be seeing that for five to 10 years. Absolutely. And, and you said you've been, while you were still a medical student, you did some internships at startups. And I guess, first of all, what have been some insights that you've gained from working with them, like maybe one or two tangible ones, and how could you apply them to tackle some of these issues with return to work, perhaps? I think the, the main thing is we need evidence generation and we need peer review, good quality evidence of anything that we're implementing. We have, 
we've we've rushed implementation of a lot of stuff during this pandemic because it's a national crisis but we do need to go back now we need to validate things we need to be doing a lot of research into what's worked what hasn't worked let's reflect on this let's not you know let's not jump the gun too too quickly here we have to we have to also do a lot of validation here and I want to see money going into um creating teams that are validating not just digital health tools but the way that we are doing and practicing healthcare you know what is the role of the GP going to be going forward what is the role of community services such as community MSK community paid services you know what is the role of Pro preventative and proactive healthcare and you know you were saying before public health where does that sit compared to reactive health now in a underfunded understaffed system so um I think there just really needs to be an evidence um and that yeah that is something that all of the startups that I worked in were and and where I work right now is very keen to do is you need to be doing clinical validation and how do they go about doing that? Is that through partnerships with academia or? Exactly that. You need to have third, third party external validation of anything, any tools that you're doing. And um, whenever you look at a digital health paper, you need to scroll down to the bottom and see the acknowledgements because who are they thanking for the funding? Who are they, <laughs> you know, what is the declaration of interest? And actually, um, we need external bodies now that are testing and validating digital health technologies because we're leaving it up to companies to do that. And, mm. you know, it opens up a whole other host of problems as well. Let me ask you this. You and I are both doctors and, you know, we're interested in digital health and, and, and so on, as well as lifestyle issues, preventive health and all that. So if you were going to talk to someone who's got no medical or health expertise and they, they were thinking about pivoting into the health sector, what would be some top tips or things to look out for? I would say don't think that you don't have something to bring because you're not a healthcare expert or not a doctor, right? Like the best the best way that we can innovate is by using collaboration and, and collaborative mindset here. And so everyone brings something to the table here to solve these healthcare challenges. Every single one of us as a patient, all of us have a voice in this and all of us have been affected by some type of healthcare in some way, shape or form. And at the end of the day, doctors don't know best. So if you're gonna be in a lot of things, so if you're gonna be you know, pivoting into the healthcare space, join and um, be ready to learn, but be ready to also feel confident in your own voice um, in the space. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Over the since entering the world of public health, um, it's about, I don't know, tw almost twenty fifteen or so years, maybe more. Um, it's an interdisciplinary uh, piece of work. You know, doctors are only one element of the the workforce, and we're all about interdisciplinary working. People from all sorts of uh, backgrounds. Every day, I'm working with social workers, engineers, architects, communications experts, the works really, and and start and entrepreneurs. And that's what I love about this, uh, this work. And it's only then can we really see results when everyone brings their um, experience and perspectives together. So let me ask you this, if you were gonna personally, I know you're involved in some startups, but just we'll come on to that in a second. But right now, if you were gonna set up your own, launch your own startup, perhaps in the digital health, or it could be anything, um, what would you be, what problem would you want to be solving and why? I mean, it's a no-brainer. It would be pain. That is what I'm passionate about and what I'm what we're doing at Salon. So okay. I'm gonna set it up. I wish just carry on working here. The thing is, is that 
pain is secondary care is just being <sighs> primary care got revolutionized right and, and it has had a lot of investment into it and a lot of big companies have come out of it with big valuations but secondary care is is scary because it's not just the triaging it's the real specialist treatment and doing that online is it's, it's scary as well and it comes with a lot of safeguarding concerns and and I know that when at Selen we were looking with the CQC about doing a, uh, the Care Quality Commission in the UK, about doing a fully online chronic pain clinic. So with no in-person presence, the, the biggest question there is safeguarding. So how, when a specialist service, how do you do things like checking for domestic violence in the home? You know, what are you doing with the kid that's in the other room? How are you dealing with opioid opioid addiction and opioid withdrawal symptoms all of these big things which you could have normally you are the specialist service you are the thing that will be referred to so how are you dealing with it virtually um I think these are problems that need to be tackled because if we just leave them and no one tackles them then we're neglecting a huge part of society so that is definitely where I'd stick at let's pivot into what Salen's actually doing there so what, what exactly is the solution that you're offering it's everything to do with pain to be honest is 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 what we're passionate about so you know there's everyone knows someone with chronic pain everyone does it's it's such a a national and global problem that and it's something that people just assume you live with right it's like oh but you know they're in pain or you know they've lived with this pain for 20 years but we we treat it differently to other chronic diseases. So if we wind it back, right, if you have something like diabetes, you're given a diabetes nurse, you're shown how to use your insulin pen, you have someone you can call, you have a team. If you have pain, you're left with your GP who isn't trained in pain management majority of the time. And you have specialist pain services, which are, again, understaffed, uh, overwhelmed, and they essentially can offer you certain sets of services, but don't have the capacity to look after you for a lifetime a lot of the time. They want to give you the best they can and then discharge you back to the community and back to the GP. Mm. So at Selling, we have two kind of strands to it. One is the, um, the clinical delivery and the other side of it is the therapeutics branch. So the therapeutics branch is just looking because you wouldn't be a pain company if you won. It's looking at what's going to happen as we try to phase out opioids in such a vast number. So we can't if you looked at the, the new NICE guidelines, they talk a lot about um about the value of medication in long-term pain and so we can't just say that isn't medication for you we need to be offering personalized therapeutics so that's one kind of strand that we're looking at and um, part of that is in medicinal cannabis as well and the other side is the clinical delivery so we have the UK's first CQC registered fully online uh pain clinic which launched in november last year we have the most incredible uh, multidisciplinary team of doctors nurses clinical psychologists and physiotherapists that create each patient a personalized care plan and deliver it to them online and finally we you know are able to embed change for pain in the in people's own homes we're able to deliver people behavioral change and give them the help and treatment they need you know if you're saying i can't garden outside you can show them outside you can show them what that looks like what does i can't walk down the stairs you can take your camera you can walk downstairs you can show them 
this is how I can't walk downstairs and this is going to be able to enact some change in people's lives that are really living with pain so yeah I'm really really excited um by the work that we're doing that's really that's really cool so what's under the hood are you using any specific technologies like AI or anything else yeah well there's there's loads that are being developed at the moment um the the exciting thing for me is how can we with a you know how can we bring all of this expertise into into the clinic in the most accessible and cheap way and the best way to do that is by getting it as personal as possible and through kind of the data the data understanding of, of the people that are using the services so I think that it's a journey to go on and um yeah we're only gonna be able to to learn more so I don't know though it's gonna be yeah, that's fine. What, what's your role there Marla? so officially I'm head of market development um which essentially is kind of the strategy partnerships looking at um what is our next steps as the company and um and also I get the fun stuff like doing some content like blogs and um nice. running some social media channels so it's all good fun I you like spreading the word sorry you like spreading the word you like to be the the storyteller in all of this aren't you I, I, I really, really, really enjoy the fact that in a startup, your role can be so varied as yeah. well. It's, it's absolutely brilliant that you can, you know, one day be working on product design and the next day be working on, you know, patient experience. The next day be working on social media. It's, it's, it's the joy it's of so working good. in an early stage startup. Yeah, I completely agree. And what stage is the startup at now? Is it series A or? It's seed funded. Yeah. I'd love, I'm, I'm watching out for this. I want to see where it goes. It's based in London, is it? Well, we're all virtual, so it's okay, based where you want, but yeah. <laughs> and I'd be interested to see how it, how you might partner up with existing virtual uh, clinic services or healthcare services, perhaps, but that's for another time. So I want to come back to you now, personally. I mean, 2018 was, I mean, every year, is, it sounds like it's been a special year for you, but um, this really, like, you know, was a hook for me to get, pay attention you have Forbes 30 under 30 uh, and that was about research with the European Space Agency I was telling my son just before I uh, hopped on the call with you because he loves NASA and all things space um, but you know everyone just thinks about NASA and space agencies in general about going up to space but they don't know what science is actually happening behind the scenes and if I understand correctly you were actually doing some research about glucose tolerance right can you just share a bit more about what you did and what you learned yeah, of course. So I spent three months in Germany with the Space Medicine Office um, in Cologne. And it was essentially, it was the best time ever. It was brilliant. It was a whole host of the smartest minds in Europe in one place and I could just learn off them. My project specifically was looking retrospectively at the data of astronauts that flew in the shuttle missions and... Um, I was looking at um, glucose tolerance levels. So that's what I was doing. It was an internal project for them. And um, yeah, it was basically to see, I mean, like to extrapolate it, what are the risks associated with sending people up for long-term missions in an environment where, you know, you might not be sleeping that well, you might not be eating as well as you would on earth, exercise, all of these different components. Are you at risk of developing things like diabetes or you know glucose intolerance things like that so it's definitely things that they're looking at they monitor glucose tolerance very 
very well on the International Space Station. So we were just looking retrospectively to see if there was any data. And a lot of it, I'm assuming, is because they're, you know, the lack of gravity, they're losing muscle mass. And that's where a lot of glucose tolerance comes from, right? Or There's the so box? many components to it. I mean, the interesting one for me was cortisol levels. So mm. how does your cortisol levels and the stress of space flight affect glucose tolerance as well? Yeah. And how about pain, chronic pain and space flight? Did I do anything about that? So, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, come on, like, let's think about Elon Musk sending everyone to the moon and then up to up through to Mars. And um, what, what's, you know, first of all, from what you learned, perhaps, how much of it could be applied to life here on Earth? Oh, all of it. So yeah. my actual um, BSc that I was doing at the time was um the science degree was actually in global health so we were reflecting as essentially you're taking and something i'm really interested in is looking at you're taking the healthiest people essentially on the planet and then you're putting them in an unhealthy situation how does that affect you and it's the same kind of learnings that you get with refugees migrant workers and so how can you extrapolate the same type of dynamic and and see actually is it that refugees are more likely to have poor health outcomes because they're, they're fundamentally just put in a situation where they are more likely to have unhealthy habits or that the environment around them is, is set up so that they are, you know, not that they're in high stress, that they are not exercising in the same way, you know, all of these different things. And it's, it's really interesting to see. And are, you know, we look at, um, people that sit behind a desk like ourselves and are working you know are we the same essentially as astronauts that are sitting that are not really exercising back in the shuttle days they're not really eating well they're you know sedentary is a sedentary lifestyle the same as yeah. a, a sedentary astronaut essentially and if we i'm sure people are i hope they are looking at the impact of lockdown and everyone's staying at home all this time it's yeah yeah uh, so back to, to you again, 2018 again. And what was the reason why Vogue UK named you one, one of the 10 rising female stars? I don't know. Why? <laughs> why? What happened? What do you do wrong? No, I'm kidding. No, what, what do you do? Um, it, was a, it was a huge honor. Um, it, was a, it was work with Nike and um, Naomi Campbell and Vogue, and it was looking at um, diversity within London. And they essentially, they took uh, their Nike's like trademark shoes and they got 10 female designers at Nike to redesign them, reimagine them. And um, we got to each 10 of us wear a different shoe, which was wow. really exciting and fun. And um, yeah, I think it's all about like, just like rising female talent in different areas, diverse collaboration, all the things we stand for. So I was standing there as like STEM and medicine, um, which is super fun. So. I'm going to embarrass you one last time because you scored a hat trick just last year, I think it was 2019, when you were finalist in Woman uh, of the Future Awards. So was that all related to the same work or something else? <sighs> I don't like it's it's. I mean, it's it's really humbling when these when you get the nominations for these awards, and um, I got shortlisted for the award, and you go down in the final five for each category, and I was in the professions category. Get interviewed by the most incredible lineup of judges, and I was absolutely terrified. But 
we became like you know throughout the discussion in the in the judging session I was talking about my work in Malawi where we had been doing e-health in the world's poorest country and we've since published a lot of research not a lot but we've published some research about it and we're doing collaborative work with the the team at Mizuzu University as well which is in Malawi about like basically rolling out um e-health solutions to a population that really that really could use low-cost high-quality healthcare solutions so yeah well that's that's what I was up to <laughs> I'm gonna stop embarrassing you now because uh, I from what you've been saying over the last few minutes it just reminded me of something and um I haven't you know I don't remember the name of this but it's about global health it's about uh, refugee health and so when I was working in Cyprus for some time um you know, the, the UN, I think it was, they have the refugee sites over there for people from also like Syria and other parts of the world uh, that have come for various reasons, including conflict. And I saw one of the doctors there uh, talking to me about an e-health kind of system. It's like a, a e-health passport, I think, essentially medical records that the refugee can carry with them. It's all electronic. It's shared across the world within their network. And, you know, some refugees change their names, but it sticks with them. And so wherever they go, they can have access to primary care and, and all that. And I think it was new at the time. I don't know if you've heard about this, but that was a really intriguing thing. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on uh, opportunities for startups uh, or technology, digital health in general to support uh, refugee health. There's so much to be done. There is absolutely so much to be done. And at the bare minimum, they need to be able to have access to healthcare. That is, I don't know, is it a human right? It should be a yeah. human right, but it's not. Access to healthcare is just so vital. And like, I think if we can do anything um, as a society, you know, we will be judged by it. We will be judged during this pandemic, how we responded with, you know, with countries that are low income, how are we responding and assisting them? Have we shut down the doors? Have we assisted them? We will, we will be judged in, in the history books about how we dealt with refugee crisis, how we shut the borders, how we open the borders. I, I think that it's everyone's responsibility to do something and, and every company should have in their mindset some type of way to be helping vulnerable people, whatever that situation may be. And it's interesting, all of this is just a dry run, I think, for what we might be seeing with climate change, refugees and all sorts of other things down the line. Hopefully it won't be as bad as everyone makes it out to be, but who knows? Um, so I guess, have you got, you know, you've, you've done so much. I mean, I just mentioned the hat trick that you scored in, in, in just over a year. What's your career tra trajectory? Are you going to be going back to clinical medicine? What would success look like for you in your career? So for me, I'm really, really, really happy right now where I am. I, uh, if I looked back a few years ago and I could see where I am right now, I think I would like, I mean, everyone should be really proud of themselves, but I think it's almost taboo in our society to say that we're proud of where we are right now and that we're content and that we're happy. And I, and I am fundamentally, and I, and I always urge people to tell themselves that they're proud of themselves. So yeah, I mean, my trajectory from here is just to, continue working within my mission and within my life goals and I think that if I continue working on projects that 
are aligned with my values and are doing work that is for the better of society I think that that is the most important thing to me and also making sure that I look after my family as well so that's excellent yeah excellent I'll come back to that in just one sec and you know earlier I mentioned you know uh, promoting entrepreneurship in the health sector for those from other backgrounds but you mentioned something that I've I've equally experienced and that's um a fear of the unknown when you're a doctor you've gone through all of those years of training even without the specialist training you've just gone through five or six years of medical school and you wonder whether you've got any other options <laughs> and uh, you know for those and actually I'll be honest whenever whenever I've been teaching medical students especially and I suddenly mention a hint about uh, entrepreneurship or innovation as a possibility whether as a startup or within the health sector itself as an entrepreneur um, their eyes and ears just brighten up and they suddenly listen to what I'm teaching about public health because a lot of it is the same. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, what would be your tips for medical students or doctors thinking about stepping into the uh, entrepreneurship or innovation sector? Yeah, this is a great question. I've given a few talks about this this year as well. And like my main advice is always you have to think of yourself like any other graduate. You need to get yourself into the game healthcare and medicine is this lovely safety net of a you know a, a government funded job with a lovely like a stable career path that goes through and you're guaranteed a job until you're consultant if you want to pivot and you want to try other things and you want to go into the entrepreneurial space you must see yourself as any other graduate so you know don't be disillusioned that because you have a medical degree or something special at the end of the day it's it's a tool in your toolkit but it doesn't give you priority over other people that will be hustling around you so you need to get your LinkedIn sorted get your CV sorted get a public profile sorted you need to be going to networking events you need to be meeting up with people for coffees even if it's virtual coffees in this pandemic right now you need to be growing a network and you need to be getting involved in anything and everything you can to further your insights um apart from just your normal medical um career path so yeah that's what I say is just go and like get as many coffees as you can with as many interesting people because at the end of the day like if someone reached out to me and is like oh do you know can I have a coffee with you for 15 minutes as long as like it's not a really busy week of yeah. course like anyone would right you're like of course like they're like yeah I've read your stuff it sounds awesome can we have a coffee and that is the best way because then something lands to something and then something goes something else so, do you not miss uh, being with patients oh god sorry you were about to say I was gonna say and um doing like favors when you're young as well is also really good so like um I know for example the people that I always look to for like med students wise if I'm like well there's this internship that's come up or something they're the ones that have been there being like can I do this can I do that and proactively offering their talents and their time um which is so lovely right but then when you know that they are they've got that hustler mindset then you're like willing to bring them on give them paid roles do, do other things so just be really proactive it's just the thing I'm just been noticing behind the scenes. I'm just going to uh, say something here. I've been seeing my shirt flicker away the whole like hour, but that's okay. I need to sort this thing out. Technology is not my forte, even though I love digital health, but dealing with this camera issue. Anyway, oh, for those God. who are listening on the podcast version, you won't know what we're talking about. Thank God. So, um, okay. So final question to you then um, is what are your um, 
you know, strategy, because you're busy, you're really busy. And you said something about looking after your family too. And earlier you said something about if you deal with women's health, you've dealt with the family health too. But what are your tips for busy health professionals, busy, busy entrepreneurs in terms of their own health and well-being? You have to just set boundaries because if you're not going to set them, no one's going to set them. For example, my boundary is unless it's completely immovable, I will not do any like podcast interviews anything on a weekend like nothing will happen if weekends must be my time because at the end of the day you you work to live right that's what you do you work to live and if you're just constantly working then you're not living and sometimes especially in healthcare you convince yourself that you are extracurricular fun is 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 fun when it's actually work and it still takes the mental power from you so if you're sacrificing time with your friends your family, your loved ones, you're not cultivating those relationships because you're just constantly on your computer doing external projects and things like that. At what cost? And everyone has their own their own boundaries there. But it's just about being able to say, like, no one's gonna like they might judge you, but then yeah. but like you know, like if you can say, no, this is my boundary, this is my line, and um people should respect it. Yeah, completely agree. Sorry, this this shirt is annoying me. So but you know, I would as a consultant now, having gone through that, um, I've been through my own challenges and I can definitely say I would, whether you're a startup or a young health professional, it's the same because now it might seem easy to you to, you want to dabble in a bit of everything. You want to be doing everything. Uh, but when you become a consultant and suddenly the weight really hits you and the responsibility hits you, you really should have been learning those skills uh, and setting up your boundaries ahead of time because you won't have the opportunity once you are a consultant. Um, so, and, and it's the same way for a startup. Once you get the Series A funding and you've got a team and you've got employees, it's, it's the same game. Look, I, I don't want to be um, uh, uh, taking more of your time. It's been really fun for me. I don't know if you've got any parting words or any final recommendations for anything or anyone no just thank you so much for having me on and yeah like if anyone ever wants to get in touch then they're always welcome to have a coffee as well so sweet how can they them. find you Mala? um linkedin uh is probably the easiest bet but sometimes i'm a bit slow to reply on the weekends so don't judge me just just come back um if i haven't replied sweet thank you so much Mala. no worries thank you take care Learn more at The Entrepreneur's Doctor. www.entrepreneurs.doctor. Better health starts here.